Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. Through this series, we've allowed people to kind of vote on the things that we're trying to maybe focus on. And this last one was the greatest families of all time. And so we went through all the different families on TV that people have watched over the last several decades. And you voted for the greatest family of all time being the Banks family on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But I want to take just a minute here and talk about the myth of a perfect family. You know, there is an illusion of the perfect family. People believe that there are families out there somewhere, somehow, that are loving and harmonious. And they just seem to work in a way that their family does not work. And I don't know exactly where we get that, but it probably does come from places like the Cleavers on Leave it to Beaver or the Father's Knows Best shows or the Andy and Opie Taylors from Mayberry or even the Banks from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Television for many years has worked hard at creating the myth, and it is a myth, of the perfect family. Show after show, movie after movie, trying to demonstrate what the perfect family looks like. Writers have fabricated fictional storyline after fictional storyline to lull us into a fantasy world, believing that the perfect family exists somewhere out there. A family exists that's unspoiled and untouched from the kind of problems we deal with in our lives in our world, but I want to say once again that the perfect family is a myth. It is an illusion. It does not exist. So I want us to pull away from the fantasy world of TV for just a minute, and I want us to go to the oldest history book concerning the record of man, the book of Genesis, which means the beginning. And we're going to go early on in that book to the very first family that's mentioned, Adam and Eve. Now, I want you to know a couple things about what we're going to read. And that is, it's called the law of first occurrence. Anytime in scripture something is mentioned for the very first time, you should pay special attention to it. So this is not only the very first book of the Bible, this is the first family in the Bible. So there are a lot of firsts here And I want us to look at it. I want us to look at specifically verse 8. And it says, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel. And let's finish by reading together. And his brother did what? Does that sound like the goat family to you? The very first family mentioned in the Bible, in the very first book of the Bible, one brother kills another brother. 
Can we just take just a minute and say we don't have it that bad? You say, well, that's, that's that family, but surely the other families in the Bible, they, 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 they've got it all together. That was just one. Well, let's take King David's family for just a minute, who God said was a man after his own heart. Goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant, brings it back to Israel. He's dancing, he's praising God, he's worshiping. And his pretty little bride is off in the distance looking at him, worship, and she's embarrassed and starts to mock her husband and so here's a guy who God says is a man after his own heart and he can't even get his own wife to come to church and worship with him. His son Absalom tries to kill him, is unsuccessful, but on the other side of that almost starts a civil war in the nation of Israel. What about Abraham and Sarah, the father and the mother of the Jewish nation? Abraham can't decide whether or not Sarah is his wife or his sister. Depends on what kind of threats are coming at him. But one moment he's being threatened by a king from another nation. And instead of admitting that Sarah is his wife, he says, oh no, she's my sister. And Abraham tries to pimp his wife off in order to save his own life. Well, Sarah's not much better. She doesn't want to get pregnant. She's a hundred some years old or whatever, however old she was. I don't know. She's up there in age. And she looks over at Abraham who's wanting to follow the instructions of God and do what's necessary to have the miracle child that God's promised him. And Sarah's like, nah, I'm good. But there's this girl over here, the servant girl, Hagar, and tries to pawn her husband off and push him and is successful at pushing him into the bed of another woman. Is this the goat family you're thinking about? Is this the, the perfect family that you're thinking about? What about Jacob? Has sons that become the representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the brothers look at the youngest son, Joseph. And because of his favored, he's favored amongst all the sons of Jacob. They try to kill him, but decide to throw him in a pit instead and end up selling him into slavery is that your idea of the goat family? The perfect family? Even Jesus talked about two sons. One who had an inheritance and went and wasted it, ended up in a pig pen. That's not the worst part of the story. To me, the worst part of the story is the guy comes to himself, tries to make a life change, and his other brother sitting back in a self-righteous attitude and would rather his brother still be in a pig pen than be restored to his father. Jesus brings this up as, hey, this is what family is like. In case you want to know, this is what families look like. I could go on talking about dysfunctional family after dysfunctional family in the Bible. Because we have a tendency to look at this family in the neighborhood or this family in church or this family that we have some type of access to or someone talks to us about her perfect husband at work or the perfect wife at the gym and people talk about this myth that exists and I want you to understand it is a myth because families are made up of people and people are imperfect. I know you're not, but all the other people out there are dysfunctional. None of us are Jesus. None of us have it all together. And I just felt like I'd include myself in this. We're all dysfunctional in some way, shape, or form. And I hope that this brings some type 
of, of a shred of hope for your family by just hearing what the Bible says about not an edited TV program, not an edited edited, you know, reality TV program where they sit down at the end of every day and eat dinner and pray together. Come on, that's, that doesn't happen. I don't, you don't end every day rolling over to your wife saying, oh, I can't wait to see you in the morning. Good night, dear. Have your kids ever got in a fight and said, oh, golly, gee, Wally. If I told you what my kids said to one another, you would walk out of this church. Because it's a myth. (laughs) It is true. It's true as can be. The greatness of family is found not in our perfection, but in despite of our dysfunction. We still encourage one another. We still help one another. We still support one another. We still love one another. We still embrace one another because greatness is not perfection. Greatness does not mean harmonious. Greatness does not mean picture perfect. Greatness does mean I'm functioning in spite of the dysfunction. Greatness does mean it's barely working, but it is working. Greatness means we're still together, maybe hanging on because we wrapped some duct duct tape around the situation, but we're still together. We're still in the fight. We haven't given up yet. And greatness means in despite of the dysfunction, you come together and say, we are family. We're not the Banks family on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We're not the Griswolds. We're not the Waltons. Come on. We may look messed up to some people, but we're family. You may not like what you see, but what you see is what you get. This is us, and us is family. We fuss, we fight, we throw things. We don't always like each other. We don't always get along, but we're family. And can I just add to this idea of family that the church is called the family of God. This is the house of God, and we're the family of God. And if your family at home is operating under the myth of perfection, how much more is the world trying to project on the church this myth of perfection, this myth that we come together and we got it all together. And if you're here today and you say, well, you sure look like you got it all together, well, just hang out for a little bit. I promise you we're going to let you down eventually. But yet the church is family. We're not perfect yet. We don't have it all together yet. We're messed up but yet we come together because we're family. And whether it's in your home or in God's home, it's why grace is so important. It's why mercy is so important. It's why forgiveness is so important. It's why love is so important because I don't understand you all the time and you don't understand me, but I can still love you. Come on, we're never going to see eye to eye on everything, but we can still accept and appreciate one another anyway. We can be different and have unity. We can be diverse, but come together enough to lift our hands and bow our heads and bless the name of the Lord together. Why? Because we are family. Don't always look like it, but we are family. People think it's their mistakes or their flaws or their failures or their weaknesses that erode away at greatness. But that's not what Jesus taught us. 
Jesus actually goes to Simon Peter and he says, listen, the enemy's going to hit your life. I'm paraphrasing. He's going to attack your life. And by the time the rooster crows, within the next 24 hours, you will have denied me three times. You will have failed me three times. And Peter says, there's no way. Never going to happen. I got you. I would never deny you. Of course, by the next morning, he had denied Jesus three times. So disappointed in himself, he goes back to his old life and starts to fish. Jesus ends up showing back up on the beach. Peter recognizes that it's Jesus, comes back, and they start having a conversation around the fire. And Peter is expecting Jesus is going to bring up his failure. Jesus is going to bring up, remember right there, how you said you never would. Look, you denied me. Why did you deny me? I can't believe you denied me. Right there, you did it again. Right there, you did it again. Never brings up one of his failures. All he talks to him about is whether or not he still loves him. Because before Peter ever failed, Jesus said something to him that I believe we all need to catch. And that is, you are going to fail, Peter, but my prayer is that your faith will not fail. So there's a difference between failure and your faith failing. When it comes to people that you love, they are going to fail you. Go ahead and just write it down. They're going to fail you. Probably more times in 24 hours than they would ever admit to you that they want to fail you. But they're going to fail you. Your prayer needs to be, in spite of the failure, I can still look at them and say, hey, you maybe hurt me. You maybe let me down. You maybe disappointed me. But nevertheless, guess what? I still believe in us. I still have faith in us. And I still believe that the failure is not final and the failure is not fatal. We can make it through this. Another way to say it is in Dr. John Gottman. He wrote a book. He's a professor at the University of Washington. And he wrote about four horses that family ride into their own destruction. And these four horses represent destructive ways of thinking about your situation. Now, the first one that he mentions is criticism, where you make the other person feel like they cannot do anything right. The second one is contempt. It's an intention to insult and abuse someone with your words. The third is defensiveness, not wanting to confess any wrongdoing, not wanting to take ownership of your actions. The third or the fourth is stonewalling, which is a cold, unresponsive, non-participator type of response, and you just stonewall the other person. In other words, in this book, he writes, what destroys families and homes is not failure, is not imperfections, is not the flaws, is not the weaknesses, but it's the attitude we take towards the person that makes the mistake. Not towards the mistake. I'm not talking about justifying When somebody has a weakness, I'm talking about the judgment that we make towards those failures. And he said, when another person does not live up to your expectations or the illusion of what you think they should be and you criticize and you stonewall that person, the statistics show that the greatness or the potential of that family making it is very slim. In other words, what erodes away at the greatness of families is not 
the imperfections that exist, what erodes away at our greatness is our judgments and our attitudes towards those flaws and those failures. Because a scorpion was a poor swimmer, he asked the turtle to carry him across the river. Are you mad, said the turtle? You will sting me while I'm swimming and I'll drown. My dear turtle, laughed the scorpion, if I were to sting you, you would drown and I would drown with you. Now, that wouldn't make sense, would it? The scorpion climbed aboard and halfway across the river gave the turtle a mighty sting. As both sank to the bottom, the confused turtle asked, do you mind if I ask you something? You said there would be no sense in stinging me. Why did you do it? It has nothing to do with whether it makes sense or not, the drowning scorpion sadly replied. It's just my character. In other words, what causes most relationships to drown is when judgments get in our character. It's our, just, it just becomes part of who we are that we're so harsh and so severe, not towards, again, the failures of a person, but towards the person that makes the failure. It's not about being, having an issue with the mistake. It's about your judgments turn into not, I have a problem with the mistake you made, but you start to believe that the person themselves or that your relationship is the mistake. Judgments are like rattlesnakes. Snake professionals say that A rattlesnake will rarely bite when you go to pick it up. But it almost always strikes when you go to put it down. So you have to be careful when you pick up those judgments. Because at some point or another, that judgment will turn on you. The Bible teaches us that the same way you judge someone else, that judgment will be measured back to you. It's dangerous to families, it's dangerous to relationships, it's dangerous to churches, it's dangerous to the body of Christ when we pick up a judgmental spirit. It's dangerous, it'll sting you, it will poison the atmosphere and the relationships. It's toxic to get too judgmental on other people. Jesus is talking about this in Luke 18 and he says there's a guy in church and he starts to pray In this real spiritual voice. Father, I'm so thankful that I don't have the problems that guy has. Thank you, God, that I don't have the issues that guy has. That guy's really messed up. That guy's really got problems. But Lord, thank you, I'm not like him. And then the guy over here is pounding his chest. Saying, Father, have mercy on me. And if you read the scripture, Jesus is very clear that the guy who is judgmental in his prayers. Come on, that's when you know it's messed up. When your prayers are talking judgmentally. Just you think that God wants to hear your critical attitude and your critical prayers. So Jesus says, this guy's prayers I don't listen to. But this guy over here, I accept his prayers because he admits he has issues. He admits he has weaknesses and he calls on me for mercy. I want you to know that even God struggles to work with somebody that thinks that they're the judge. But he can work with people 
that admit we have flaws, we have weaknesses, but that doesn't take away from the greatness and the things, the great things that God wants to do in our families. The world's largest bell has never been rung. It weighs 219 tons and is 18 feet high. During its construction, a single drop of water got into the mold and when the bell was cast, it cracked because of one drop of water. The bell has never been heard. Our judgments are like drops of water. They destroy us. They erode away at our greatness. And that bell's greatness has never been experienced because of one drop of water. I'm closing. I'm not speaking about an absence of integrity. I'm not saying that you should live your life saying, yeah, grace and mercy and not not have integrity. Because the Bible is clear that you should judge yourself lest you be judged. We still will face God. And the Bible says we judge ourselves. We look seriously at ourselves. We don't act like we can do whatever, whenever, however. No, integrity still matters. Integrity is still important. The Bible says the just man walks in integrity and his children are blessed after him. Paul, the Bible says, in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, says he was in good conscience before God. We're not talking about being perfect. But to me, integrity is my conscience is right before God. How is my conscience right before God? Is it because I do everything right all the time? No, it's because I'm quick to to admit wrong. I'm quick to say, I was wrong, that was wrong, that was a wrong attitude, that was a wrong spirit. That was a wrong way of thinking. And to make sure my conscience is right before God. Integrity does matter. Without integrity, things will fall apart. And not just will things fall apart in your life, but it will impact the next generation because of that example. In China, the people wanted to protect their country from all their enemies. So they built this massive wall. They said, we want to build it tall enough so that no enemy can climb over it. And we want to build it wide enough that they could never break through it. In the first hundred years of the wall of China being built, China was invaded three times successfully. The enemy invaded China successfully three different times. And never did the enemy have to climb over the wall. And never did the enemy have to break through the wall. All they had to do was bribe the gatekeeper. Because while China was busy building the wall, they forgot to teach their children integrity. doesn't matter how much effort you put into things. If you don't have integrity, the enemy will always have access into your family and into your life. Newspaper cartoon depicted a young boy named Coffee in a fruit tree. He was there stealing oranges. And a passerby yelled, Coffee, you better come down or I'll report you to your father. And the boy responds, go ahead. He's in the next tree. Integrity. Having a clear conscience. 
The measure of a man's real integrity is in what you would do if you would never be found out. If you want to know what habits you should consider tabling or overcoming, don't ask yourself, can I get away with it in the privacy of my home? But would it be okay on the five o'clock news? Integrity matters. D.L. Moody said, integrity is what you do and who you are in the dark. Integrity is made in small moments of our life, small decisions in our life. It's not created in the crisis. It's not created during the pressure. It only comes to light in it. When crisis comes, when problems come, they reveal what we have become. I love this phrase of integrity. It speaks of wholeness and purity of heart. So integrity isn't something that you get from the outside in. Come on, it's, it's on the inside. Come on, you've heard about the woman, right, who, who died and went to heaven. And she got to heaven and God said, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to send you back and you've got 40 more years. You're going to be just fine. Wakes up in the hospital room, alive, excited. She's so excited about the fact that God told her she's got 40 more years. She wants the next 40 years. She wants to look good. So she goes and gets all kinds of plastic surgery. She walks out. First day, everything looks good. Everything's healed up. And she walks out and she gets hit by a bus. Dies, goes straight to heaven. She says, God, what's the deal? I don't understand. You said I had 40 more years. And God said, I'm so sorry. I couldn't recognize you. Come on, she wanted to go at that next 40 years from the outside in, but you got to go from the inside out. Integrity, wholeness, and purity of heart. Something that happens from the inside out. If you really look at the etymology of the word, integrity, it just goes back to a time when a broken piece of pottery would be fixed by putting wax in the cracks. And then they would paint over the pottery and you would go to buy the piece of pottery and you'd hold it up to the sun. You couldn't see the cracks. But when you took it home and you started to cook with it, the wax would melt and the vessel would fall apart. That's what integrity is. It's not what you are here. It's not what I am here. It's what we are when we get home. And integrity matters. I'm not talking about your projection of what somebody else needs to be, your judgment on them. I'm talking about your judgment on you. God, is my heart good? Have I made things right? Have I accepted responsibility? Have I said, God, I know, I know in order for a family to be great, it's not about a family being perfect. No family's perfect. But it is about saying, I want to work towards being someone that has purity in my heart. I want to be whole in my heart. Because, you know, this is the deal. A glass that's whole can serve you but glass that's broken cuts you and a lot of times you cut everybody that gets close to you every time you turn around you're cutting the next person cutting the next person and it's just because you've never made sure God I got to get the inside right first I got to ask you to heal the brokenness on the inside first 
I got to ask you to help me have purity and wholeness of heart on the inside first. I got I to not worry about what do I look like in the light. I got to worry about when the heat is on. Am I strong? Am I stable? Am I together?